Hey guys, welcome along to episode two of Lifting in Life with myself, Josh and Cam. The broader thing that we discussed today was mental health and how it relates to the gym, but also many other facets of your life. And uh, we also hear a little bit about Josh's journey in terms of how the gym has helped him improve his mental health. Yeah, and I mean, one thing that you'll probably notice that's jumping out at you um, comparatively to the first episode is the audio quality is substantially better. We won't get into that too much here because um, you'll be able to hear a bit about that through the episode. But um, yeah, we hope you guys enjoy. Okay, we're recording in our new fancy microphone. Yeah, very nice. Is that about equal distance? Yeah, that's about it. So I guess a quick rundown, we have purchased a nice new piece of hardware, a Blue Yeti uh, caster microphone, and at this stage we're both talking into it. I think it's going to be a, a big step up from last time. A large piece of feedback that we received from you was that audio quality wasn't that great, so we've made an investment. Which wasn't really telling us something that we didn't already know, but you know, it was good having that extra, <laughs> I, I, that extra push. And know? I took it as a compliment because I was like, oh, the content must have been all right then if if the main piece of feedback was that your audio quality sounds a bit crap. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, mm. you, you guys were just splitting hairs, really. Yeah. You're <laughs> like, hmm, what was bad about that? i got to find something. Yeah, audio yeah. quality. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's me start peeling the layers on the onion. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's right. Okay, so... We're very happy with how this is sounding, though. We've done a little test run before, and yeah, it's... Yeah. yeah. But besides the feedback that we got, the literal feedback, not the uh, actual constructive feedback, yeah, the yeah. feedback from the mic, we we sorted that out, and, and we're here, and we're good to go. So what are we going to chat about today, man? So on episode two of Lifting In Life, we're going to be focusing on kind of a mental health motivation and uh, working out mental health kind of thing. So all centered on mental health-related kind of uh topics ideas and themes um for me this is a particularly big one because certainly mental health management is what drew me a lot to the gymming lifestyle um and as always we want to expand beyond just talking about gymming alone and those kind of frameworks that i guess um the uh the gymming blueprint can kind of feed into but go much broader and much beyond that um so yeah very mental health focus today i think cool man if he had to just really simply and sort of superficially describe your your journey with the gym and mental health how would you put it simply before we really dive into it um I mean I guess it was just me on a very simple level trying to um discover and embrace mental health management tools that weren't you know substance orientated that weren't drinking um you do spend a lot of time talking to a lot of people if, if you're in that kind of sphere of being having open dialogue about your, your your mental health struggles or whatever, you do end up inadvertently having responding comments planted from other people, and you know they a lot of people are, are quite you know frequently mentioning that you know the gymming or like you know any kind of physical workout in general is always like a go to for them. It's a management tool. It does so much for endorphin releasing, you know, letting out tension or frustration or anger or whatever and it's a moment to yourself you know it's a moment where you're kind of escaping from the world you're gluing yourself to escapism and just putting your headphones on and rocking out or whatever your vibe is so yeah yeah man i could see how that would definitely be be true and from a macro level because you've been gymming for a few years now would you say that um as a result of including that kind of physical activity in your life that your mental health 
on a macro level has improved. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's no two ways about it. I think there's, it sort of comes into more of a, I guess, a how far does it swing? You know, like, you know, how far do I go with those kind of physical endeavors and what's the kind of swing in the, in the, in the mental health response that I get from those. Um, when I was drinking as well, I was 20 kgs heavier. So, you know, that can really contribute to things because it helps enhance your confidence and, and confidence is very much a, um, a key component in building up a, a, a structure of happiness and feeling good about yourself. So, so it almost seems because obviously uh, prior to a session, it's not uncommon to not feel, you know, fantastic, but then you feel better once you go to the gym and improve or well, once you go to the gym and train, sorry. But I guess kind of what you touched on there was that as you improve throughout your training and you see physical results in your body, do you find that that helps improve your mental health because you're building confidence because you're you're liking the person you see in the mirror more i think it's a bit of both um you're getting the i guess superficial um endorphins release that you know on the day that you actually do a workout it makes you feel quite you know you feel happier you feel more engaged you feel more alert you feel more um, optimal um, but then over time you know it's part of that gradual incremental build that you get and as a result, you also start to feel more long-term happiness, you know, or long-term um, satisfaction or whatever. And don't get me wrong, there's absolutely no foolproof, um, foolproof plan to battle, um, you know, depression or, or whatever your mental health struggles are. It's, you know, a constantly moving vessel. But yeah, I think it's definitely, you know, it ticks both boxes in that regard if you continue at it. And once you start to see results as well, and this goes for anyone, not just those that might have mental health challenges, you start to get addicted to that. You see the incremental growth and you see the results of it and you start thinking, oh, you know, should I actually, you know, want to, I got, I hit that new sort of personal best now, now I want to try and bang out that next one, you know, in like three or four weeks or, or whatever. And yeah, so I guess what you're touching on there is more than just seeing physical change too, right? If, if In terms of like losing weight or something, whereas if you're gaining strength and you're seeing progress in that way, you might not necessarily physically look different, but you're improving in terms of your strength or your fitness. So that also feeds into the loop of improving confidence and, and improving your mental health because you see yourself working towards a goal and uh, achieving incremental steps along the way. Absolutely. And I think ambition is probably a, a big one that comes into that. You know, take someone who's never been to the gym, for example, who might be struggling with, um, you know, wanting to, have been wanting to lose weight for some time or whatever. They finally get themselves there. And then after about a month or two of, you know, smashing out workouts, they start to see that they can lift a bit heavier or they can, you know, go a bit longer on the treadmill or whatever. And that then becomes, you know, the, the new kind of addiction, like wanting to sort of outdo your previous self. Mm -hmm. That's an ambitious pathway that you're going down. That level of ambition may not have existed in certain individuals before they found it through that avenue. You know, mm -hmm. they might have um, not had that kind of motivation to do better than the time before or whatever. So on a very high level, I think you are, you know, finding this kind of um, ambitious hook lance itself into you that you know keeps you keeps you coming back i don't want to put a, a a damper or a negative spin on it but the way we're chatting about it sounds super easy and super linear like you don't go to the gym you start at the gym and then your mental health improves and it's just a upward trajectory if that's the case why do you think a lot of people go to the gym for a short period of time and then burn out and then stop going if if they're receiving such positive benefits from 
I think um, I think we might have even talked about this in the last episode. Um, mm-hmm. Expectation management is really essential. So for a number of people that I know have sort of gone for a few weeks and then clamoured off, I mean, there's no one answer to that, you know, and there might be very legitimate reasons that have that have um, that have arisen that you know have prevented them from being able to reach it. But I think obviously it's got to be a priority. You know, it has to be somewhere at the top of your list of priorities. But you, when we first engaged, I remember you gave me you really managed my expectations quite well in terms of what to expect. You know, I wasn't sort of seeking out a result within the first two or three weeks. Instant gratification conversation. Absolutely, again. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was very reasonable with myself about what to expect based on the way you had managed my expectations. I can imagine for a lot of people that are that are cracking into it when they don't see results instantaneously they probably feel quite disheartened. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I should caveat that comment that if you are listening and you are feeling that way, absolutely stick at it. Mm-hmm. But I, I wonder with people like that, have have they had their expectations managed in the right way? Are they gluing themselves to imagery through social media that makes them go, you know, I want that and I want it kind of straight away. And, you know, that's, that's not a, a tenable ambition. It's got to be a little bit more realistic than that. And having those expectations managed will c- keep you going back because you'll know you know, your mind will be in the right place. Mm-hmm. Where mine, my mind kind of went with that was how do you then effectively construct or or obtain expectations for yourself that are realistic, that keep you going? Would you say that um, you creating them for yourself as opposed to seeking out professional advice can still be a good way of uh, going about it I I personally think that you can construct uh, re- realistic expectations for yourself without needing the advice of a professional as long as you uh, it sounds kind of bad but set the bar low at the beginning yeah, yeah. so <laughs> if you set the bar low where you, where you say to yourself man going to the gym once or twice a week that's uh, one or two times more than what I'm going now I'm, I'm winning if I do that and then if I can stick to that for a month and I smash it and it's easy then I step it up or do you think that if you're going to construct it for yourself it's hard to know whether or not the plan that you've constructed is actually um, is the expectations are managed well or do you think that it's more likely that they won't be managed well if you construct them for yourself um, I think it really depends on what your resources are and where the information that you're using to construct your plan is coming from, basically. You know, I mean, for a lot of people that are working on it themselves or whatever, I sense that there is a lot of information that they're routing from social media, which we've spoken about a few times now, and I think that, you know, that can be a bit of a, a minefield. Mm. Um, so you it can do, be both good and bad. Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on, on who following. you're engaging yeah. with. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a very, um, you know, social media can be very vapid, um, and, and that can have a very negative connotation and it also can really usurp your own confidence and that it makes you feel by comparison that you're not doing as well as you want to be doing mm-hmm. um, but if you're sourcing it out from more I guess kind of um, you know well-intentioned you know really well-researched kind of personal training models that you know you're then routing into your own I mean because the thing is you have to adapt it to what's going to work for you as well even if you were seeking out help from a personal trainer um, where you were having an you know an in-person kind of relationship where they were managing your expectations Mm -hmm. and all that, you're still going to have to mould it to your existing lifestyle and find a way to make it work. And just as you said that, the sort of 
uh, tacit premise or underlying premise of seeking out professional advice is the assumption that the professional who is providing the advice is providing you with good advice. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <Right>? absolutely. <laughs> Just because uh, you you have received professional advice doesn't mean it's necessarily beneficial or the expectations are managed well. Yeah, and I mean that's a good point because you know on the, on the topic of mental health awareness as well, we, you know, in in terms of where we're going with this week's discussion, you know, it it's like having a counsellor, right? Like mm. you are throwing money at it. You you want to make sure that it's someone that's going to gel well for you, and you should be non-negotiable about that. Mm. You know, you, it should be someone that makes you feel more comfortable about yourself, that you can engage with, that you can be open with, that you can be honest with. And that is, as you say, ultimately going to give you the advice that's going to work for your situation. Mm. I mean, I've engaged with a lot of people that have said that, you know, the personal trainer that they first got planted with, they managed to find someone a little bit further down the path, but that they first engaged with was feeding them just bullshit, basically. Mm. And like really, really sales driven as well. Mm. So that to me suggests at a higher level that, that, you know, your values are going to be critical and that they marry up with the person that you're engaging with on that level. Um, I mean, I couldn't think of anything worse than engaging with a personal trainer that's just about getting as much money out of me as they possibly can. Yeah. When I was a personal... Which is why I walked away, you know. Yeah, well, that's (laughs) why I only trained you for a couple of weeks. um, (laughs) uh, Driving around in your Maserati. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm rich though, so... (laughs) I'm I'm definitely not rich, by the way. Anyway, um, yeah, my experience as a personal trainer, what I always had at the forefront was building a meaningful relationship with the person who you're catching up with so how i would go about it is i would always offer two free sessions off the bat first session was a coffee essentially what we're doing right now just to sit down and get to know you and then we'll get to know each other more so and then the next one was a training session and then if we felt like we gelled we'd continue the relationship on from there but a part of that and being a personal trainer is understanding that the mental health of your clients it doesn't become your responsibility, but it's highly likely that you're going to have to field some of your clients' worries and concerns and stress. Yeah. And I was absolutely fine with that and actually enjoyed it quite a bit if my clients came to me with those sort of um, worries or stresses and I could maybe only listen to them. But if I could provide advice and that's constructive and it helps, that's even better. I think the only thing that would get on my nerves, like we chatted about earlier, is if it wasn't sort of using um, conversation as a tool to get to the bottom of a problem and actually find a a solution, more so if it was only complaining about something repetitively over time. Yeah, so you don't want to find yourself in a situation where you're kind of enabling someone that's making the the same mistake over and over again. Mm -hmm. And that's interesting coming from a, a personal trainer's perspective because we've you know, spent a few minutes now talking about what you can expect and what you should be seeking out from a, a from a personal trainer or whatever, if mm-hmm. that's the avenue that you want to go down. And obviously, you absolutely don't have to. There's, you know, numerous options, particularly for those that are more budget conscious and, you know, all that kind of thing. Um, but from a personal trainer's perspective as well, that sounds like you've got a very values-driven framework as well. You want to make sure that you guys do parallel on what you're seeking out and mm-hmm. that you're not enabling someone who's yeah again just making the same mistakes over and over again and yeah Yeah. and understanding there is that a client might come to you wanting to achieve physical things well it's most likely they're wanting to come to you to physically improve their fitness or their physical look whatever it may be 
but the mental health component is going to be a huge component there. So you need to look at it holistically and understand that if you have the ability to improve that person's mental health through the conversations that you have, in turn, they're going to get closer to achieving their physical goals too. Because, I don't know, there's lots of different things outside the gym that if you're not feeling 100% in yourself, you're... I feel like at least I'm obviously not a scientist or done research on it. Are you not? No, surprisingly. <laughs> I know. Um, but I feel like you're more likely to engage in negative behavior that takes you back from your goals. Yeah. Like eating crappy food or drinking more or even just moving less. Yeah. If you're feeling really good and your mental health is really good, you're less likely to engage in those negative kind of vices. Yeah. So if you can improve that throughout the session, then it's more likely that your client will improve physically. You know, I completely agree. And I think you've kind of touched on a bit of a thing there of, um, you know, holistic, positive uh, habits, I guess, which um, we definitely talked about, you know, the power of habit and lifestyle in, in the last episode. But specifically on the on the mental health thing, when I first started engaging with doctors um, surrounding the... So I, for a little bit of context and background, I've had some form of depression throughout the majority of my adult life um it was very much a, a driver and what catalyzed my drinking the way that it got um and i've you know i've sort of been back and forth between different doctors tried different types of antidepressant medication you know all those kind of things that you know are going to help get on a on a uh, on a smooth path basically but one of the things i found a bit of well, found myself holding a bit, a bit of resentment towards was thinking back to the doctors that I first engaged with when I first went on to, um, I think it was fluoxetine, I first went on um, the antidepressant medication that I first went on. And at no time when I was engaging with them, I suppose this probably suggests more about the doctor than it does about the experience of, you know, approaching a fix for that in general. But I wasn't really told much about the holistic approach in terms of making sure that your diet's um, really, I mean, these seem like obvious things, but they're not necessarily at the same time. You know, I've gone through my, my period where I know now that they're quite obvious things, but I certainly gone through my period where I didn't think that way. I was always looking for the side door. You know what I mean? Um, do you think that's knowledge that you had to obtain or do you think that we're actually, I wouldn't say born, but I feel like we all kind of know what foods are a lot worse for you in terms of like the high sugars, high fats, lots of takeaways, engaging alcohol versus whole foods that are more nutritious and better for you. Do you think that you didn't know what was a better way to sort of eat? Or do you think that you did know, but it just wasn't really at the forefront or wasn't a priority? I, yeah, I feel like it was probably a little bit of both, which I'm sure a lot of people can relate to. You know, it, it, when I quit drinking, um, within, I think about, uh, must've been about, oh no, it was a few months. It wasn't straight away. There was kind of like the calm before the storm where you start surging out all these, you know, archived, banked, you know, years old. Sort of yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but there was a calm before that period before it really sort of hit. And, um, I reflecting on it now and the period where I was drinking, it feels to me like it was what they call the detective's curse where like. The answers in front of you all along, but you're kind of looking for these, wow, you know, cool. I heard of yeah, that. yeah, really out there kind of, you know, in analyst roles, it happens quite a bit. You know, I work in an investigative role um, concerning financial crime mitigation, and quite often you're looking for like that little bit of detail to help you with something that you're trying to, you know, structure a story with, and it eludes you, and then when it suddenly hits you, it's like, oh, I was right there in front of me all yeah. along. 
I felt the same about the whole holistic mental health management approach with diet and stuff like that. And it was like the drinking was a, a way of mediating, you know, hurt and, you know, insecurities, like confidence, you know, all those kind of like negative sort of things that were going on. Um, I never realized how much it was catalyzing those problems at the same time. And then once I sort of stepped away, it was kind of like, oh, that was such a massive contributor, you know, all along and I didn't even know. So coming back to your question about the food and stuff, it's, it's like, uh, I think you, when you're in a particular lifestyle, if you're living in a particular home environment, if you've got particular relationships with certain group of people, again, you're always trying to find the side door. You're never really saying mm. to yourself, oh no, actually the things here that aren't aligning for me that are where this behavior and these bad habits are stemming from is those controlling dynamics like your relationships, you know, like the, the meals that you eat each, eat, eat each night, you know, mm. all those kind of things. Um, so they do kind of all work together. And when you're in that bad habit flow of like eating poorly each evening or whatever, you don't sort of go to yourself, oh, this is going to be the reason why I'm feeling so yeah, low. And, no. and because it's, again, it's that detective chest. You don't see the obvious. And temporarily, know? that stuff probably actually makes you feel good. You know, you get some instant gratification out of that food that you're eating, whether it's freaking Tim Tams or takeaways or something. You know, it feels good eating it at first. But as a snowball effect over time, that stuff actually makes you feel worse and worse and worse. 100%, yeah. And that's why my strategy with personal training clients was like when we discussed food i i pushed the conversation of food down the track and when i first started with a new client normally i wouldn't engage in those conversations unless the client wanted to engage in those conversations until maybe a month or so down the track so we just get some sort of physical routine going but with my clients what i would do with nutrition is get them to write down two days of their weekday eating and then one day of their weekend eating including everything that uh, they would drink too and then from there it wasn't about overhauling the plan and giving them this perfect plan where it's the you know the perfect amount of calories so they're in a five percent deficit and like the ratio yeah, yeah. of carbs fats and protein was on point because I don't want to be, be negative. the part, it's got to be more digestible than that. Yeah, simple. Yeah, nice. <laughs> more digestible, but more realistic. Yeah. Unless I really thought that the client could stick to that 100%, there's no point in creating something, again, it's the expectation management, creating something that wasn't able to be adhered to. Yeah. But, so what, would we, what we would do together is create small goals and make small changes to the plan that gradually over time become bigger and bigger changes. So it could be the case that, okay, you're eating ice cream after dinner every single night. I feel like we both know ice cream every night probably isn't the best thing you can do for you. <laughs> yeah. Instead of taking it out, maybe we replace it with Greek yogurt and berries or yeah. something like that. So you're still servicing um, the habit, but with a different, uh, a different kind of tool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was so, gonna say weapon. <laughs> yeah, or weapon maybe. So then over time, you, you continually make these kind of changes. Oh, wow, you're eating takeaways five days a week. How about we cut that down to three or four? Even though we know maybe takeaways once a week is the ideal, but how about we cut that down a little bit? And you make these changes over time. And before you know it, the, the diet that the client is consuming is so much better than where they started. But it's not about um, providing perfection straight off the bat. It's about working towards that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think you've hit the nail on the head with that still servicing the habit element as well. Um, I Through, the, through the, the, the drinking journey that I've had, I've 
become so sledgehammered by the awareness of the power of habit and when you take let's say that it is a tool you know if you take that tool out you do have to replace it with another one um, or you're going to find this urgency in your addiction that you've not experienced before which, which I've definitely gone through even as recently as last week you know it, it's not something that just disappears you've got to be you've got to be very aware of that and I think you know emulating that that um that observation onto the onto the um, food dynamic, it, it's very much the same thing. Mm-hmm. If you're going to suddenly try, start trying to change your diet, you do have to take those. But you know, just be respectful of the fact that like a sledgehammer change is going to come with a lot of um, a lot of itch. You know, a lot of uh, d- your body's going to feel a strong desire to go back to those things mm-hmm. that are familiar to it. And you might be able to stick to the sledgehammer change for a few weeks or a month or something, but I feel like eventually it's likely that you'll sort of relapse and then just completely go off the track. Or even, you know, even worse, I think like, you know, cause we are talking about mental health today. Like I've, I think that you could, if you ask someone that has depression issues, making a change that aggressively in your life can be quite a, a simple trigger. Um, you're not, your body's not getting serviced in the routine that it was previously. And even if it was something that was bad for your body, the moment you take it out, if you were having large quantities of it, your body's going to freak out. Mm-hmm. And that can trigger you. I've had that before, mm-hmm. certainly. You're no longer getting medicated with whatever your previous tool was. I had that with caffeine when I reduced my caffeine intake because not so long ago, I would have a couple of Americanos in the morning and then prior to training, maybe smash back a sugar-free monster or something. And then a sugar-free monster, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then I kind of got to the point. It wasn't necessarily an epiphany, but I was like, I was just thinking the monster being sugar-free is quite ambitious, isn't it? You know, cause yeah, <laughs> but and it's a lot of caffeine as well. <laughs> but I can't. It wasn't necessarily a full-on epiphany, but after a while, I felt like I was building in a, rel- a reliance on caffeine. So I actually ended up just virtually stopping it. And then now I've I've slowly. Uh, drip fed it back in but I might have two or three coffees in a week or something caffeinated sure. I get a lot of decafs now but when I originally stopped it I was getting headaches for a couple of days prior, post oh, really? that yeah but and it, it really um showed me the the dependence or reliance that my body was having on the substance and it's only caffeine it's not a hardcore drug or anything yeah do you, I mean what do you think came first there though like the the having a reliance in general or a reliance or you know a kind of habit that needed to be fed was bloomed by caffeine once you've discovered it kind of thing so i think about the first time i discovered coffee like oh man (laughs) i can still remember my first um instant coffee too i was it was a life changer this this is a huge tangent but i was working um i used to do a lot of backstage production stuff when i was at school and um essentially (laughs) i was was super super (laughs) tired and I had this instant coffee. I remember I was sitting up at the sound desk and I was like, whoa, I don't feel tired at all anymore. This yeah. is great. Um, and then you're forever chasing the dragon, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Mine was actually yeah. quite similar. Yeah. We had like two, um, we had like, uh, 
you were designated to, to clean the staff room, <laughs> like you, you and a, a helper. So there was like two of you kind of thing. You'd do the dishes after the teachers had had their break or whatever. Yeah. And so there was like a roster you had to follow. And my mate that was in there with me was like, oh, bro, you should try some of this. <laughs> it was like a full-on drug-crushing moment. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like we'd heap heaps of sugar in it because, you know, coffee. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. And dude, it blew my mind. Yeah. Like it blew my mind. Whoa, and then I just tried stuff. to, yeah, I, absolutely. And I tried to slip it into the home environment without really bringing much attention to it. So like next time mum was making a coffee, I just made one next to her. And she's like, hey, what, what the fuck are you doing? Like... But you know the the door was open. Yeah. Like as you say, you're chasing the truth. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I guess to to reel it back a little bit, I, I think a dependency probably stemmed. No, I, I I don't know if I'd go so far as to call it a dependency. More so a habit. But I just started to believe that to get up early and go see a client at six a.m. You know, I'd have to have a coffee first. Um, but the the snowball effect, or the more paradoxical effect with caffeine, is that it actually um, negatively impacts your sleep makes you feel worse when you wake up and that's why you want to have a coffee yeah. so what I've found now is that only having a couple of coffees a week I get up at around quarter past five every morning aim to get to the gym about quarter past six I think the, the initial getting up is never super easy but once I'm up I feel wide awake when I get to the gym I feel good I don't feel like you know I need a coffee or I'm super tired so I think it's definitely had a positive uh, benefit I, I i kind of my relationship with it's probably a little bit different i definitely use it like if i'm about to have a gym session i'll have like a really strong coffee but one of the things i enjoy about it is the ceremonious nature of it um you know and it's particularly because i don't get that with booze the way that i used to um and you know this is coming back to the main theme here of mental health this is a, a mental health management tool that um, I first read in John Kerwin's book, um, All Blacks Don't Cry. So oh, it's cool. Yeah, it's more pertinent to a New Zealand audience. And um, from seeing the analytics, we've got quite a few people overseas that are, we're listening into the first episode. But essentially, he was a um, he was or is an ex All Black. Um, oh, God, I can't remember his position now, but he he was kind of a, he was a massive star at the time, mm. um, and he ended up having mad depression issues when he was kind of at the height of his his fame in the All Blacks, which, you know, in New Zealand is like being like a peaking rock star. It sounds quite ironic to the story where you're, you're at the top of the game, especially in a country that's so patriotic about rugby, but then to uh, mentally not feel good. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, if anything, that's just a, a reminder that it doesn't really matter what's going on the outside, it's what's going on inside that is the most important. Um, but he ended up opening up about it and he sort of became the face of uh, mental health awareness within New Zealand, which was massive because he'd been an all black. You know, a lot of males who struggled to talk about mental health and started coming forward. So he, he broke a lot of ground there. Um, but one of the things he talks about in his book is um, it's similar to a grounding technique that they use in meditation, which I also got reminded of recently, which I'll come back to in a second. But um, like when you're having a coffee, like not just having it in an automated fashion, like actually letting yourself stop, mm. slow down, really taste it, really smell it, really be a part of that moment. And um, how I got reminded of that recently on a broader level, um, which comes back to what I was saying about it being used as a, as a, as a grounding technique, is um, I'm doing this writing course and one of the things, one of the most recent assignments that I had to engage in was going to a public place and observing absolutely everything with all of your senses. What do you smell? What do you hear? What do you see? All that kind of thing. And you don't actually do that very often. You, you know, you really don't. You know, I know, I know a lot of people that 
you know, consciously meditate, you know, as, as, as frequently as twice a day. Mm-hmm. And it's always getting very strongly recommended to me. Um, but I always seem to have my headphones on and I'm just kind of like, you know, routing from one kind of... Have some sort of stimulus coming in instead yeah. of not having anything. I listened to a real interesting podcast with Joe Rogan and Naveel Ravikant. I think that's how you say his name. You'd probably really enjoy it. I've actually listened to it a couple of times. And he talks about the uh, the benefits of meditation. And he says you should do it to really get into it. Yeah. Is to do an hour a day of no stimulus for 60 days. And then you start to get more into the groove. Because he talks about it from a mental health aspect too. It's um, If you're constantly being bombarded by stimulus, you're not processing the thoughts and also, I guess, memories and stuff that's happened in your past. Because you're always just caught up in doing more, doing more and being entertained by something. It's not until you actually stop, say if you're, I don't know, on a train for half an hour and you don't put your headphones on, that you actually start to contemplate maybe some of the stresses and some of the things that aren't going so well or haven't gone so well and begin to work through them. Yeah, and like really being a part of that moment and like, you know, I'll caveat this common theory with like, I'm terrible at this. So this isn't very, this doesn't come from a preachy place at all. Um, But... Where I actually went for the assignment was um, the greenhouse and the botanical gardens. The botanical gardens, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, it was great actually because it was a really cold day and it's quite warm in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, it's very, very vibrant. You know, it's just green everywhere. There's birds flying about. Um, you can smell all that foliage. You know, there's a a very um, tranquil pond so are you in the cafe part or you in the sort of the greenhouse part no i was in the greenhouse part so the the writing assignment was that you had to go through a public place and observe what you what you could observe and then that was part one part two was the same character that was observing those things as then doing a domestic task and they're interrupted so the first part was going through the greenhouse Mm -hmm. and then i went to the adjoined cafe and the second part of the um, of the assignment that I wrote was the the character that I created doing their um, administrative tasks on their laptop, and then was interrupted by the cafe worker cocking up their order, which actually happened. <laughs> yeah. So it, was, it sort of became um, art imitating life. Yeah. So it was, it was but, non-fiction. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was interesting because like I was observing all this happen. Like, they did. They made a couple of cock ups, and I was kind of watching them. And normally, I'd sort of intervene and be like oh hey look sorry um you know i ordered this or whatever in a very diplomatic friendly kind of way i mean i know how difficult hospital work can be but i found myself kind of just observing and being a part of the moment and not sort of trying to control it in any way and the level of detail that i ended up absorbing and taking in as a result was was quite interesting and coming back to that original commentary around that you know that ceremonious moment of having a coffee I think you can fall into one of two categories. You can fall into the category that you sort of described about yourself there. You know, it becomes a, you know, necessary tool in like having a gym session or whatever it is. Or you have those people that really fall into a moment with it. And um, for me, it's, you know, it's definitely kind of a bit of both. Mm-hmm. I find when I'm catching up with someone I haven't seen for a while and we have a, co- like within like a couple of minutes, I'm like way more sparky. Yeah. You know? and, and I find that, um, caffeine hits me more now too after not having it um, for a long period of time when I have one every now and then 
I actually feel the effects of it. I'm like, yeah, oh man, I feel yeah. good. That's why I really enjoy having a coffee while we're starting our podcast off because I feel like it puts me in a good groove. I feel a little bit more alert, but that wouldn't be the case if it was a, a dependency kind of thing. Yeah. And I find, found that my experience with it is still sort of ceremonious in some sense because Chloe and I really like going out to have a coffee with one another or just having a coffee at home together. But we have a lot of decaf now, so it's just more so a hot drink, but it still feels like you are doing something or you get to go to a cafe, but then you just order a decaf. Yeah. So you're still engaging in that sort of ceremonious activity where it's you get to do something cheap and nice together, but you're not having the um, adverse effects of a yeah, caffeine overload. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess one of the things that's probably good to touch on is, as far as the, the broader theme here goes as well to do with mental health is definitely... Um, I think I think we 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 talked about this beforehand, and it might be something we want to look into in another episode, like lifestyle management. Um, mm-hmm. when, when you've sort of been drenched in a bit of a, a previous lifestyle, but but for me, mental I can't talk about mental health without talking about the drinking. And I know that for a lot of um, people that have sent us feedback, um, they've talked about their interest in that side of things as well. And I've been quite open about my relationship with alcohol, and certainly for me, um, you know, engaging with the gym lifestyle the way that I was and trying to manage the drinking side of things became you know absolutely critical in the overall mental health management and it might have been the last episode i mentioned that it was very much like having two friends that hated each other you know two personas yeah yeah the gym lifestyle and the um and the drinking lifestyle Mm -hmm. um but look as far as mental health goes i guess you know just to just to keep it simple i would i would certainly argue that you you do want to compartmentalize that part of yourself a little bit you know find a way to kind of make sure it's sort of working in tandem with mm-hmm. with with the broader kind of gym lifestyle that you're engaging with and all that kind of thing yeah that's an interesting point that you make because going back to how i was saying how i'd get my clients to write down two week uh, two weekdays and one weekend day often alcohol was written down especially on the weekend day and if my client was wanting to um, cut down you know lose body fat I still for the most part wouldn't entirely uh, remove alcohol out of the situation because I know that especially if you're someone who engages in going to social functions or parties or going out for a drink every weekend that it is actually ironically important for your mental health to engage in something like that so instead of just saying nah you can't drink Um, we would first discuss what it is that they're drinking. Is there a lower calorie option? Is there a lower sugar option that you could be drinking? And also putting a cap on the number of drinks. So, okay, we know that you have this function this weekend. How about you just stick to having five drinks? Yeah, designation. You've got to know your limits as well if you want Mm. to approach that. For me, I had to absolutely just quit drinking completely. Mm -hmm. But I've engaged with a lot of people that have asked me about that. And I've been like, well, it comes down to what you both what you want to achieve and also what your limitations are. Yeah. You know, if you um, are capable of managing it in more of a balanced way, mm. then absolutely do that because the moment, coming back to what we were saying earlier about the the junk food or whatever, the moment you take that tool away, you're going to feel an urge, you're going to feel an itch, you're going to feel your habitual side start to get a little bit nasty with yourself. Yeah. You know, you might get triggered, whatever. Definitely. And you might even take a more macro perspective where you might say, in a month, you can go out 
once or twice or something like that. So it depends on the frequency and how much a person is drinking to what kind of constraints you want to put on it. Mm. But if you go out with your friends once every few weeks, maybe you say, okay, one of those nights, how about you just have two drinks? But then one of those nights you could take it up to six or seven, but putting some sort of um, constraints on it. So then you can actually still work it into a plan rather than, you not telling your personal trainer that you drink or maybe you say, oh, I only had two drinks, but you had like two bottles of wine or something, um, then it's harder to work into the plan. That always cracks me up, eh? Like the, the sort of, I know that some people have fallen into a bit of a dynamic of having like a guilt-ridden relationship with their personal trainers or whatever. Like, yeah. oh man, I'm really, you know, hide the fact that they're hungover from them or whatever. And I'm like, oh man, you know, my my absolute advice for there would be just be honest, man. Like, you know, they, they need, they need to sort of know what they're working with. I I was going to say, I just thought of a real funny story. So one of my sessions, um, one of my first sessions might've even been the first session, but it was one of the first anyway, um, with this client, I didn't know, but it was a few months, maybe even six months down the track. He was like, man, our first session, um, that we had together, I went out for quite a few wines before, uh, we trained and I was actually pretty steamed. He had like almost a bottle of awesome. wine before he trained. Yeah. I was like, oh man, I didn't actually notice. But yeah, so that's kind of a funny hey, story. You can smell the wine or anything? No. Nah. Nah. Nah, sure. I couldn't. Yeah. I was quite surprised when he told me, but um, I definitely wouldn't recommend it. But yeah. That's quite a funny story. No, good value. Like, I, th- I think another thing that, you know, would be good to discuss as far as mental health goes is, you know, I was saying to you, I had a bit of an issue last night where I had a, a bit of a depression crash and um, I can't say that he was, well, I think there might've been a trigger, which I won't really get into, but to be honest, I think just every now and then I'm due a bit of a window. Like it's just how my body operates, but I quite like going to the gym on Friday evenings and I just ended up boycotting the session because I had to sort of ask myself, does this feel like one of those ones we should push through or one of those ones where I need to just take it easy? Um, how did you make that call not to go? Um, I'd, again I think we discussed this in the last episode but I'd already had a few incidents like that and so I was trying to recall the pattern like the last time I felt the way that I did last night I actually drove there but then I couldn't go through with the workout because I just was too low I was too um and that's kind of the irony is you know you do want to push through because it can sort of give you that surge of endorphins but it can I wouldn't say it ever goes the opposite way I've never had like a, an adverse effect from it but sometimes your body is saying to you, you know, I need to kind of just stop for a minute and process. So yeah, last night was one of those nights and I identified it through previous mm. trial and error. And that's, so that's the only way you can get there is trial and error and pay attention to the patterns and, and all that kind of thing. But then this morning I wasn't quite as low, but I definitely felt pretty low. And, you know, when I got to the car park, I ended up sitting in the car for about 10 minutes, just like whatever was on the radio or whatever, my mind drifted aimlessly and then I ended up forcing myself into having a workout I think I cracked maybe just under an hour um strength was all right like it wasn't like a massive smash out or anything but it did feel like okay yeah it was good that I kind of pushed through but I guess the thing that I wanted to stress to those especially that have mental health challenges is it definitely it is okay to have those days where like you know you don't feel like you're quite up for it and I, you know you've absolutely got to pay attention to the and that, I mean, you know going applying that to a broader scope than just gymming that that applies to your relationships um to you know your diet what you're doing that day whether or not you're going to work like give yourself room to really feel those things that are preventing you from doing what your normal routine would be 
as far as, you know, come back to your question, how do you know whether or not it's a time you push through and when you don't, pay attention to the patterns, you know. Each time you do push, how did you feel when you did push? If you didn't push, how did you feel after that? But whatever you decide, don't beat yourself up whichever way you go because that's just going to make, you feel, make yourself feel worse. You've made that decision now, it's okay. Sit with it and then, you know, eventually you'll find your path. Yeah, I totally agree with... Uh being okay with that decision that you make and being content with it because I mean it's made you can't change it so you got to yeah. park it but the, the two trains of thought that I get um, from that is the if you're not feeling up to training your session probably isn't going to be as good so therefore you're probably going to get less physical benefit out of it so it's actually not as worthwhile you going because you're not going to get much out of it but then the other train of thought is that okay, well, I'd feel a lot better now, and you go to the gym, you train, and then you're actually having a much better session, so it's more beneficial that you waited. Um, I typically see this with uh, being super tired. Some sessions I find it hard to make the call because like early mornings when you get up, if I feel super, super tired and the body just doesn't feel there, I'll also you know park it and rest for the next day and then have a better session the next yeah. day. So it, it is a fine line and it, is, it does take experience of knowing uh, whether or not you're, you going to the gym is actually going to be beneficial, you're going to have a good session and actually uh, force your body to adapt and improve or whether you're going to go there really half-ass it, there's no point, you resting for an extra day would have been more beneficial. Yeah, and that's what you want to establish is what's more beneficial overall, mm. not what's the instantaneous thing I want, what's mm. more beneficial overall. Um, and I think that it's almost like you've got your, your spectrum of emotions, but then with each emotion or elemental emotion, there's their own tranches. Mm. So for example, you know, I felt depressed last night, but underneath that there's, is it the box, is it, does it fit into the depression box of I need to push through or does it fit into the depression box of no, I need to stop. Mm. And so you can understand your emotion, but what is the right thing to do as a response to that emotion? One of the one of the things that I've been exercising since I've been getting more into writing is um, I've got a book, um, I just call it Observations and Learnings. So I probably scribble in it about uh, every two or three days. Um, I, so I, learned, I got the idea from a friend of mine, um, Emily Costa, if you're listening, shouts. Um, thanks very much for the, uh, for the, for the idea. But... Um, Basically, you keep a book where you, you know, you just basically write down different things that you observe in the, in the wider world about yourself, whatever. I mean, it sounds like a simple diary, but it's a little bit more nuanced than that. So how did you feel in particular situations? What was your reaction to this? What was your reaction to that? What's your reflection on that? The idea was given to me when, um, when she was talking about it because she was explaining like moving into a, a fresh role or whatever and, and, and getting an understanding of how that particular you know business operates or whatever um i then applied it to a, a, an ideology of you know identifying certain plot devices and you know character nuances and stuff like that with different stories that i'm writing but the amount that it's helped me with self-reflection and understanding how i reacted to certain things which then contributes to that framework of identifying the patterns so that you know next time you know what you need to do differently um what things throughout the day contributed to optimization or enhancement mm. you know like those kind of things you know what things contributed to my depression triggers or my you know and because you've you know the, the memory's an absolute 
fragile piece of shit. You know? <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, it's a serve at the best of times, especially when you're spinning so many plays. Mm. So you write those things down and then the act of writing is not only cathartic, mm. but you're teaching yourself those patterns through repetition um, and you'll be amazed. It's a different way of scoping the world you look at. Sometimes you just look at a scene and you're like, oh yeah, cool. And then you continue on to the next. Your mind's elsewhere, you've got your headphones on, whatever. When you're actually engaging in a practice of writing down observations each day, you find yourself then looking for them more mm. throughout the day. And what you observe about yourself and others, values, behaviors, cultures, whatever, like it's just, there's an infinite number of things to observe out there, you know, and it becomes quite fascinating. You get, you get kind of addicted to it in mm. a way. I'd say the cool thing about that is that you're no longer uh, floating through life or just seeing life happen. You're actually observing it. And an extension on that, which I think can be super beneficial, is doing um, weekly reflections. So on, on your Sunday, you look back at your week. Okay, what are some things I could have improved on? What are some things that I did really well or I'm proud of? And what are some focuses for this uh, week upcoming? And what I find that when you do that is it, like I said, it stops you from floating through and seeing life. You're really observing it. But it also really leads into uh, self-improvement too mm. because you're calling out your own pitfalls. You're like, oh man, I really was super slack with doing that YouTube video or that task or I didn't engage with any of my friends or anything this week, you know, whatever your focus is. So then it gives you something to improve on for the next week. It's amazing how much you realise when you lapse in one year how it creates a cascade as well, mm. eh? So if you don't do that and then you've got to play catch up on it later, then the three other things that we're waiting after it then have to like be pushed yeah. out as well. And, and you also don't know when you're doing bad if you don't set any expectations or have a goal of something to do and you're not reflecting on it, then you're just continuing to go through and then subconsciously you might not feel too good or it might feel like there's some sort of gap in your life or in your mental health. Whereas if you're more uh, observant of it, you'd understand where the, the pitfall was. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, if, you, if you're kind of just humming through and not really taking your time to consider those. And I understand it's hard. I think it's probably worth, worth stating that, that it, it is difficult, you know. And everything's so busy and obviously living in, in the COVID landscape with each country having its own unique approach and you're in your own... Um, you're in your own kind of paradigm of how that's being responded to, which is infinitely different from one country to the next. And, you know, there's, there's got to be a, a, a present everyday respect given to that, you know. Um, but to, to on, on top of that, you've got, a, you know, a very busy, urbanised lifestyle um, of, like, you know, managing your job, your relationships, you know, whatever they may be. But to not really sort of take a moment to really reflect. Like, I find that the the potential negative outcome of that is well, I mean there's multiple really but the ones that's you know come come um, front of mind is you're not you're going to keep getting triggered by the same things and falling into those pitfalls as you call them because you're not going to know how to identify them mm-hmm. but you're also I don't know you, you know I wrote a short story not too long ago um, with one of the characters she, she carried a theme of um, not being present um, it was all about being engaged in one um, one ear into the next, you know, constantly engaging in what I would call distraction. Mm-hmm. And when when you live your life that way, I think that you very much just, 
you get into a, a pattern of just stumbling mm -hmm. from one situation to the next. You're not really taking stock. You're not really applying consideration. You're distracted from yourself as well as all those around you. Um, you're not really present and you can make, we were talking about this earlier, you can make the same mistakes over and over again. Mm -hmm. But more than anything, are you are you really going to be enjoying those moments? Are you alive or are you living? You know, it's that it, kind of reminds me of when we did our, our first podcast. It was actually you that mentioned, you know, celebrating it as something that we did well and making a point of uh, being grateful that we did it and actually making a point of celebrating it and and sort of congratulating ourselves because I find that when I do something i might not necessarily acknowledge the the gravity of it or that it actually was something good so it can in terms of your reflections it can be something like okay i need to work on this but it can be optimistic and be like damn that was actually really cool what i did i need to take some time to make sure i enjoy this moment and actually celebrate it 100 percent, yeah and i know if she's listening in now right now a good friend of mine jilly massive thanks for that piece of advice because yeah. i pretty much just you know I, it was, it was her that told me to, you know, engage in your celebrations mm. that way to really reflect on them the way that you need, the, the way that you should, I should say, yeah. um, you know, really calling attention to a moment that is a bit of a victory or worthy of celebration for whatever reason, rather than just occupying yourself from one cascading, you know, plan to the next, mm. from one plate spin to the next or yeah. whatever. Um, and it, yeah, it really creates like a ceremonious moment that you can then ritualistically mm. enjoy and grasp. And, and I and suppose feel. it's positive reinforcement too. You you sort of congratulate yourself and celebrate it with yourself that you did something good. So then again, when you do something good again, you're like, okay, cool, well done. You get to celebrate it and um, enjoy it and sort of, I suppose, bathe in the positive uh, vibes from it instead of just focusing on what comes next absolutely mm. yeah i think just focusing on what comes next is what you know it's, that's it's it's the same kind of thing right you know you're just sort of getting distracted from one to the next and you know i've got a lot of thoughts on distraction as anyone near me knows i consider my drink i've called my drinking period the great distraction yeah that's what i've nicknamed <laughs> it um the 15 year distraction but um yeah. You know, I've got a lot of thoughts that I want to explore in this episode because I could go on and on about it. But mm. yeah, it, it does carry its own risks if you think that way. I think, you know, it can also be healthy in some ways as well, though. So like um, when I I've had moments in the past where like I've achieved certain things and then it feels really good for like a day and then I crash down on the other side. And, you know, the one that comes to front of mind is in 2007, I, I won a DJ competition and I was on cloud nine for I think a whole weekend and then I fell into a deep, deep, mm. heavy depression and I started looking to it more and more and I, I, I actually got an um, understanding of how common that is, particularly with like marathon runners, for example. Yeah. Even bodybuilders too. It's called post-comp blues. Oh, That's there, how yeah, common yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And um, now with the writing that I'm engaging in, because I've got about uh, maybe about three or four kind of different short stories or discussion pieces on the go for um, my website that where I publish my writing. Mm -hmm. um, it's, I, I have this technique now where when I'm coming up towards the ending of one, before I publish it, I write the first paragraph of the next yeah. one. So there's a constant overlap. Mm. And that way I feel like I've always kind of got something in the burn. And 
I'm trying to teach myself to get addicted to the journey rather than the, the you know. Yeah, and I've heard the idea of um, happiness and positive mental health comes from the idea of seeing yourself slowly achieving minor goals in the uh, pursuit of a larger goal. Mm. So if you're slowly ticking things off towards a larger goal, that brings happiness and positive emotion because you see yourself working towards something. So I suppose that's why it's important when you've achieved a big thing like winning a DJ competition to also have another focus to work on after that. Which I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, my focus was a bowl like, of Jack Daniels. Just look into the void and you're like, damn, what do I do now? I yeah, was so no. significant and now what? It was, it was, it was the first time I ever had that. And like, you know, the me now knows how common that feeling is. And you just talked about with bodybuilding as well. I had no idea that it was coming. I had no idea to expect it. My expectations had not been managed in the least. And that was all I thought about for, I think, about a year and a half. Oh, yeah, about 15, 16 months. Um, the year before, a good friend of mine had won, so I could sort of live through that vicariously. And then the next year, I was, you know, I was on deck. Like, mm. I, I remember there was this poll that they did online on this uh, drum-based chat forum that I was part of. Who do you think is going to win this year's Rumble? And I was like leagues ahead of anyone else and then yeah and the terror that came with it the pressure but anyway I guess what I'm just trying to encapsulate here is that that was all I could really think about Mm. and in the moment it happened yeah a good couple of days of like just absolutely jubilation jubilation (laughs) and then just the most barbaric Mm. you know hit of rock bottom Mm. that yeah I couldn't I couldn't understand it couldn't make sense of it you know And, and I think I'm trying to remember my way around it. I think I ended up kind of just, I just kept mixing. Yeah. Just kept DJing. I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to keep going down that avenue of escapism and managed to upset a lot of people that I lived with because I, I now when the, when the competition's over, like that's when I was slow, <laughs> yeah. constantly making noise. Nah, it didn't happen. Yeah, no. I, that, that was my addiction though. You yeah. know, I just got, I allowed myself to get deeper into it yeah. rather than taking a moment to understand. In fact, this, incidentally i didn't mean for it to go this way but this feeds back to what we were saying before about taking stock i didn't i just let myself get deeper into the addiction Mm. and with the djing the um the drinking was happening in tandem with it so yeah that was one of those critical moments where i needed to understand the process a bit more but but didn't that comes from wisdom and experience and and hindsight now yeah and the right resource and people around you you know we're all just young and up for a good time so yeah i was having an um, interesting conversation yesterday a specifically a gym related conversation and this is kind of a chat about sort of constantly uh, ticking things off instant gratification and uh, feeling a, a void after you've experienced great success it kind of reminded me of it because uh, basically the conversation was around the idea that man my life would be so much different if I didn't go to the gym every day, you know, I could uh, move overseas more easily. I could probably do um, a lot of traveling more easily because I wouldn't have to worry about, you know, training and eating right. And that was kind of the the pessimistic view of it. But I was going to say, it sounds like he's talking about a negative sense. Yeah. Well, yeah. that was what I was saying to another person. Right, right. We, were, we were conversating and that was the point that I made. But then it also made me think of um, in a more op- optimistic fashion whereby... This is something that I've been, that has been a part of my life and I've been focusing on progressing in for like freaking 10 years or something now. And there's not many things in life that you can dedicate yourself to for a long period of time. 
And it made me think that, man, that's a way that the gym can be used as a tool to really positively benefit people, both mentally and physically, seeing yourself stick to something for a long period of time and get positive gain from it. Yeah, no, no, I completely agree. And I think um, I would call that, I would call that your constant, you Mm. know, and I think everyone needs to have a constant, you know, something that's their own anchor, their own kind of, uh, their own kind of governing governing energy over who they are as a person their identity and their brand and i think that it's healthy to have that constant um as something that's yours as well regardless Mm. of what kind of relationship you're in with another person like it's it's only yours kind of thing so that if something was to go awry within that relationship it's still there it's still your anchor it sounds like a pillar yeah uh, your I guess identity, but it's more so not necessarily an outward identity, but an identity in how you perceive yourself. You know, you're not necessarily that person who goes around gloating like, man, I go to the gym, look at me, I go to the gym five days a week, blah, blah, blah. But it's a, a solid identity pillar for you and your perception of yourself. Yeah, and that, that's come up quite a lot for me this year um, because my identity, um, I never realized how critical how critically tied into the DJing that it was previously it wasn't until um at New Year's I saw this guy um, that I hadn't seen for quite some time um and it's always interesting when you run into people you haven't seen for quite some time because the reflection on you is always going to be wildly different than someone that you see every day mm-hmm. particularly for me I've gone through you know sobriety and transformed so much from and the physically last you look a lot different like, yeah, we've yeah. looked back on your photos from when we first started I'm not gonna lie we've had a bit of a giggle yeah oh yeah um, yeah Mr. And, Potato here yeah <laughs> but and just a, a, a shock or you're, you're stunned about the physical change that you have made I remember seeing you post lockdown I was like whoa he looks like a different person again yeah 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 now lockdown was um well lockdown here in New Zealand I should say with respect for the fact that it was what I would call you know lockdown light yeah and you know, a one-off experience it yeah was, yeah compared to other areas that got put through the mincer which um, yeah, you know or still are getting put through the mincer yes, yeah, Australia yeah. right now yeah, yeah absolutely which you know I have nothing but sympathy for and mm. um, I think about often but yeah I definitely had that experience where once I'd sort of gone through that particular period and come out the other side yeah I don't know what sort of triggered that particular emotion but um there was I definitely did fall into a bit of a dark place as well and I think I was still confronting the sobriety side of things quite a bit and that obviously does a lot of different things to your appetite and all that kind of thing um but yeah coming coming back to the, this guy that I'd, I saw at New Year's I yeah he, oh, I'm trying to remember the way he worded it he was like so he saw me as being quite, you know, firmly established within, you know, New Zealand drum and bass and particularly within Wellington. And he said to me, oh, you know, you weren't just our DJ, you were the DJ. And I'm not saying necessarily I agree or disagree, but the thing that I took from the comment was how much it was my identity. And he was like, that must have been really difficult for you letting go of that identity. And I, I had a moment where I was like, huh, I didn't really think about that and or not think about it that way. And then this year has kind of been at least once at least once a day I spend probably about four or five minutes being like what's my identity now Mm. like who do I identify as you know what's my kind of um what's my brand who's and the reason I'm putting this on the table is because I think for not not maybe not for everyone but I believe for those that do have mental health struggles that can be quite a critical factor like having a sense of identity and who you are and, and, and 
knowing what that identity is, what that brand is, how you want that to be perceived by the external world, how, how much you want to govern and control that, that identification and that branding of yourself. Um, whether or not that's crit critical to you is up, up to you to decide, but I do see it as being quite a... I, I, I'm learning all the time what a different mental health management tool is. Um, you know, when I say learning all the time, I'm learning like, you know, new ones. You know, oh, that's absolutely a mental health management tool. Having that sense of identity for me has absolutely been critical in, in managing that, that side of my mental health. Yeah, I definitely agree. The thought that I had is that um, when you're discussing the idea of someone having an identity and um, knowing who they are, I would also say the next step would be is that it's not so one-dimensional. If you split it up into you know, a pie, there's going to be multiple parts of that pie that form your identity. Mm. If you put 100% of that pie into, I'm the gym guy, and then you, I don't know, break your leg or something and you can't go to the gym or something happens where it stops you from training, then your whole sense of identity, or maybe you're a bodybuilder or a freaking jet skier or something, and something stops you from doing that, and that once was your identity then your whole world's going to be blown up. Yeah. So yeah. what I would say is I like... Which is the, ultimately how I felt when I stepped away from DJing. I think I felt heartbroken in ways I didn't know to expect mm. because of what you just described. Like all my stock was in that. Yeah, and, and that's why I like the idea of being multidimensional. If you think about the few things that we engage in, like I work in IT, I also like giving out personal training advice, I also like to do podcasting and YouTube... And I find that if you have an identity that isn't so one-dimensional, it can avoid the big catastrophe if that uh, identity sort of implodes on itself. But it also means that you're not so heavily weighted and perceived as um, being one-dimensional. One thing that I really disliked when I was a personal trainer is that I was just consistently perceived as the gym guy. So I would go to a function, a party or whatever, be having a conversation and the conversation is just always about the gym, you know, oh, how's the gym? Oh man, you're looking big bro, I see you lifting this, how's your clients? <laughs> Can and you do, yeah. bro, take your shirt off for yeah, us? Yeah, 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 you do have abs bro? Yeah. No, nah, I wouldn't get that, but... The gym um, guy's a pretty shitty superhero name as well, I, you know, <laughs> yeah. But in, maybe it's just a personal preference thing, I didn't like being perceived as so one-dimensional, you know, I've got a degree in psychology and I've got all these other interests that I would love to talk about but I was only perceived as being one dimensional and what would have happened at that time if I could no longer be the gym person yeah you know it might have really had a negative effect on me so I think it's good to have a, a strong sense of self-identity but having it made up of a few different pieces of the pie including who you are as a, a family member as a friend as a partner whatever it is but having that more multi-dimensional identity as opposed to like a uni identity yeah no absolutely and I think um you know, if if I was to if I was to describe the 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 things I'm engaging in at the moment, I guess I would call it like multiple projects that I've got going on, um, and you, I, I, I'm balancing three majors at the one time. One of them being this podcast, um, and you you develop a sense as well of which one is is going to start gravitating you more. You know, like, because I know a lot of people that I've talked to about what you've just described there, having like sort of multiple slices that make up that, that one pie. Some people don't really work that way. They have that one thing that they do need to get obsessed mm. about 
which is fine. As but well, I, I know, also but... think one thing could take up a larger percentage of that pie. Yeah. One yeah, thing so might be 60, 70 or 80% of that pie, but it's still not 100% of it. Yeah. But then the other personalities you've got are those that sort of do something different each week. You know, mm. I was um, speaking to a good friend of mine in, in Melbourne who said that she operates that way and she was like, you know, it sort of might prevent me from getting really good at one particular thing. And I'm like, yeah, but what's wrong with that? Like, mm. I mean, the, the people that you must be meeting and the, and the way that you're sort of learning, albeit for a short period of time, mm. these different skills, these different kind of ideas that you're generating as a result of that. But one thing I've found with the, the three majors that I'm kind of managing at the moment is you, you pay attention to which one starts pulling you with greater gravity than the other. Um, when the year started out, I had even more than three going on. And where I'm at now was via following my instinctive response to the ones that started generating more pull and than the just others. Just what you look forward to more. If you're doing something and you don't look forward to engaging in it, and it is only doing it as a side hustle or a passion or something, maybe you should just stop doing it because you you no longer enjoy it or no longer see the benefit of doing it. And it's okay yeah, to stop doing short. something. Yeah. yeah, Even if it's a part of your identity, it's okay to take that piece out. It doesn't matter, you know, if that is what you were once known for doing, like you're DJing or something, or you said you outwardly spoke that, oh, I'm going to do this course or something now. And then you start doing it like, actually, this isn't working. I really hate doing this and you don't need to be doing it. There's yeah. no reason why you shouldn't just drop it out of a, a, a large motivator for not dropping it would be um, people perceiving your identity, identity to change. Um, and I think that we as people have a large fear of people perceiving us to be different or not appearing to be consistent throughout a period of time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the learnings for me when I'm talking about the projects that I'm engaging in, uh, gauge, engaging in. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you just did that with identity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, We've been talking for a little while Yeah, now. that's the coffee yeah, yeah, you yeah. were talking about. We need yeah. another hit. <laughs> um, I can't remember where I was now, but... Yeah, one of the um, one of the things that I've learned when it comes to um, engaging with others about the, the certain projects that I'm on or whatever is the way that I talk about it and the way that I describe it. So, I guess the example, that, or rather the, the the theme that I'm getting at is, you can be one of those people that talks about it like, oh, this is absolutely it for me now. I found mm -hmm. my thing, blah blah blah, but then you end up, you know, maybe not feeling it, and you feel you feel like you're kind of locked in now because you branded it a certain way mm. to all these people. You've put pressure on yourself as a result. I wouldn't say that I used to do that, but I, you know, not to that extreme anyway, but I certainly talked about fresh endeavors a lot more aggressively and with a tone that I wouldn't necessarily now because you don't know until you start yeah. doing it. So what is, what is the, you know, and this does fold into the mental health thing that we've got going on today as well. What is the, the, the driver that got you into that cornered position that you're now in. Mm. It's the fact that you spoke about this new endeavor in such a way that you now feel like you're trapped in it, that you've, yeah. th that you've let yourself down, that you've let others, that you've let others down. And ultimately the approach that I would recommend that, that ironically comes back to what I was saying earlier about expectation management is managing those expectations with yourself. Yes. I've discovered this new thing that I'm quite interested in, I'm just going to see how it goes, see how I feel about it, you know, feel it out. When I talk about it with others, that's the way I'm going to describe it also. Mm. If two or three weeks into it, you get into it and you, you know, you sort of discover that it's not for you, you haven't cornered yourself by this undue yeah. pressure simply because of the way that you've put this expectation on yourself, mm. 
both directly and indirectly because of the way you've talked about it with other people. And that's the power of language, man. Like the power of voicing things out loud and putting words to the thoughts, I think is very, very powerful. But that can be how it can negatively impact your life. I feel like the juxtaposition to that is that it can positively impact your life by expressing something that you're going to do. Say it might be, um, okay, you've got a wedding coming up in six months. I'm going to start telling my friends that I'm going to work really hard for this and I'm going to get in shape for this wedding. And the power of doing that is that you're more likely and you, I guess there's more weight on you, excuse the pun, losing <laughs> weight and getting in shape because you've actually voiced it. And there's some sense of um, uh, reliance, but also putting those thoughts into words. So it can, I feel as if it can be used in a positive way by um, more accountability, but just putting words to a thought actually makes it reality. And yeah, it mobilizes it. Yeah. I, I do want to caveat it though, because you know, you've almost described a, a methodology that I know some people engage in that I find is really, really bad for mental health. Mm-hmm. And that's using guilt as your motivator. Yeah. Oh, so if I tell people now, I feel guilty if I don't do it, so yeah. I'll go. What if you don't go? Mm. and then you're punishing yourself with guilt and that mm. is just not a good place to be at all mm. and I think that it's yeah it's, it's the wrong motivational tool mm. it's it's a very corrupting it's like jealousy yeah. it's a really toxic contaminating element to, to, to use as a motivational tool yeah. that's why I liked how you said you start something first and then you start to voice it yeah. so it might be the case that you start going to the gym and you've been there for a little while or you start on this weight loss journey and it's actually going well and then you start to voice it mm. and so it's actually a positive motivator because I can definitely see that being the case where okay I haven't started this journey yet I'm going to say that I'm going to do it but then what if you actually never get there yeah and then it can just actually make your mental health and your physical health probably worse too because it'd just be a downward spiral yeah I'm firmly against that I mm. mean if for those listening if you do use that as a motivational tool for yourself and it works mm. and it works for you like you know kudos and you know stick with that if it works yeah but i just think that if you look at it from a risk perspective mm. there's such a unnecessary amount of risk surrounding using that as a motivational mm. tool because if it doesn't go that way if it doesn't get you over the line with whatever your endeavor is um yeah you're going to fall into a real self-punishing self-criticism mm. toxic plight you know mm. and you, you that that ultimately is extremely detrimental to your mental health in my perspective on being on the receiving end of people saying that they're going to do something i personally get really frustrated when a person continuously says that they're going to do something but then puts no actionable steps behind it Mm. and it doesn't happen a lot but i guess the frustration comes from hearing the same story you know, over and over again without seeing any action. But then I also feel bad for them because it's obviously something that they want to do. But then the the next step of taking the action, that's obviously the hardest and most difficult step, even us doing this podcast. You know, we were talking about it for a little while, but then we managed to make it come to fruition. So I would just say be mindful of how frequently you say you're going to do something without actually doing it. That's why I really liked what you said about starting something and then talking about the fact that you're doing it instead of talking about it before you've actually started, because you never know what's going to happen. You might not be able to start it. Which is one of the risks surrounding that guilt motivational tool thing is, you know, like 
there could be any number of reasons mm. for why it can't come together. Mm. Um, yeah, it's yeah. Again, there's just too much risk attached to it, and I think if you statistically, if you do use that as a tool, take a moment and think about all the the times where it hasn't sort of gone mm. the way you intended it to for whatever reason. Doesn't matter what the reason is, whether you're feeling it or something else got in the way, and then you've ended up just being you know saturated in guilt for yeah. a period of time and, and we chatted about this last time i mentioned how i don't think we should um post up too early that we're posting this podcast or we're doing this podcast or whatever because you can encounter so many technical difficulties that can prevent you from posting it on time and then there's just been this big lead up time and you have consistently failed oh no it can't post today because this didn't work so knowing that it's set in place before you actually voice it or publicize it as uh, a massive safety net because then it shows you say something and then you action it not you say something oh you say something oh you say something and then the anticipation or the the um yeah the anticipation or looking forward to that being posted or coming out or published or whatever just slowly wings and it just goes away because you're just constantly saying something without following it up with the action yeah yeah and there's too many um there's too many potential anomalous outcomes at that point mm. if you don't have the material yeah but and um, especially when you first start like the amount of like the feedback thing we're getting with the mic today you know there's so many random things that can pop up in any sort of journey that can prevent you or or be a roadblock that you can't anticipate before you do it yeah and i you know i had the same thing with the website that i launched and you know for those listening this is where i um channel my writing which is primarily short stories and discussions at the moment so um, check it out it's the one by your knees.com question mark <laughs> yeah I had to think about it for a minute like, I'm so used to saying yeah. .co.nz so yeah. no it is the one by your knees.com um, but when I you know so I launched the site back in um, April and yeah there was a period of oh yeah I, I get the urgency that you feel you know where like you want to start flooding out on social media like oh this is going to happen by this time blah 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 but as you say, the, the unintended consequences or the unanticipated events that could come up between the moment you've talked about it and when it actually gets, you know, launched, you kind of want to have the, you know, it, it absolutely needs to be lined up and, and, and ready to roll. You want to be ready to press the red go button. Pretty much, yeah. By the yeah. time you voice it. We found that with Chloe's first YouTube video this week. We had it like ready to go up on Sunday or something. And then the aspect ratio was wrong and then the audio wasn't coming through and then took ages to process on YouTube and it was like four days or something of us just trying to post this four minute YouTube video. Yeah. And we thought we were ready to post it and then we looked at it and it wasn't ready because there's no audio and stuff. So um, it was definitely a good learning to make sure that it's 100% ready to post up before you start yeah voicing that you're going to be posting this thing yeah and i think we had this we, we had the same approach with the podcast in terms of like times we were going to do it and stuff and mm. i think the first week actually eh, it was like I, I vaguely recall us having a conversation it was like oh should we do it this night and it was kind of like uh you know if we go for the week after uh, i can't quite remember the, the specific mm. conversation but it gives us more room to breathe yeah and there could be you know again unanticipated events that occur between now and then so you want to mm. And you know, coming coming back to the to the overall theme, you know, engaging in your your goals or your life endeavors, in that way, I see as being far more tenable and far more um, far more 
contributing to a good mental health paradigm you know mm. not feeling as if you've let yourself down or engaging in that sort of self-criticism and self-doubt and post syndrome whatever those things that can result from things not panning out the way that you intend them to mm. um but i guess the the primary driver about you know of that above all else is managing your own expectations mm. you know identifying those patterns surrounding how you approach each situation you know how you how you um get that project off the ground you know and be willing to put in the time to manage your expectations you know whether it's at the gym or or with a a passion project or something allowing the time of doing that thing to construct your expectations and knowing what is manageable and what isn't manageable for you yeah and i'm always a fan of having more time than you know so you know some people respond better to giving themselves pressure i know with my creativity it's i'm starting to learn to use it as a tool like if i'm creeping up to a date where I was intending to do something, kind of leaving it to the last couple of days really pushes a, a creative burst out of me. Mm-hmm. Um, I found the same thing when I was DJing, found the same thing with guitar writing. Reminds me of uni assignments. Yeah. You know, oh, I've got four weeks to do this and then you somehow leave it to the last week or the last few days and you manage to smash it out yeah. and get a decent grade. You can use that as a tool, but mm. just be really wary of yeah. that. You know, because if something crops up in that time, yeah. you're screwed. Yeah, and yeah. I'm a big fan of finding, you know, oh, sorry, uh, allocating yourself a buffer. Like, yeah. I think I've spoken to you about that before, you know, like, um, particularly in this landscape of, of, of engaged with a number of people who were already on a razor's edge. And then um, when COVID came along, they had no capacity or buffer mm. to, I wouldn't say to deal with, with COVID. What I think COVID did to them in, in the examples of the people I'm thinking of was it created this fertile ground for all other issues that were going on in their life to then be untenable or unmanageable they had no capacity because they were in this constant sort of bent stretched state and um it it felt like it it could have been anything that came along that that pushed them into that corner because there was no capacity for it there was no there was no buffer as you say you know and looking on looking at that on a more simplistic level um if you had something that you're trying to get off the ground and like you know someone in your family you know passes away or or there's a relationship breakdown it could be a friendship it could be a partner whatever you know there always needs to be room for those real life unanticipated things to be dealt with Mm. you know it's very true and i'm feeling very satisfied with our chat today just to um let you all know our first podcast we came into it with a loose structure we had an idea that we wanted to talk about and then we sort of had a lot of um, just a loose framework of key points we wanted to address but today we took a different tack and we're slightly more spontaneous with it Um, it was literally we were having our uh, meal just before we started this and we sort of chose a topic from our ideas board about what we wanted to talk about and then um, we managed to delve into it so I'm feeling pretty satisfied with with what we've covered today absolutely and I think you know we've got a list of topics that we will cover from one episode to the next Mm. but in this instance, we looked at the list and it was kind of like, you know, that felt like the, and we, you know, also, you know, we want to thank everyone for the feedback, for listening in, um, you know, as far as the topic approach goes, we, we're driven, I think, by a kind of higher value set than any kind of robust framework. It's yeah. more, it's more about being driven by authenticity, transparency, sincerity, you know, those kind of 
broader level components and the it, things that we can organically discuss that we normally if we go get a coffee that we end up discussing anyway yeah that's to me sort of how it feels yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah we're having coffee i'm like man we could be recording this right now yeah which i think everyone <laughs> thinks about their <laughs> yeah. conversations with yeah them, wow we're so smart yeah. and and deep let's yeah, record yeah. this yeah. i think i think the more common one is to think is like fuck we're hilarious yeah <laughs> like, we're, yeah. we're so yeah. hilarious yeah. Why yeah. Yeah. Right people now? need to hear this yeah, yeah they need to know how brilliant we yeah 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 we didn't quite have that level of narcissism yeah. <laughs> attached to it. But we are hilarious. Yeah, yeah. objectively. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, that, I think that when you're, we've got a bit more of an agile model and you kind of, you know, we look through this and we're like, you know, for me, I had a couple of mental health things over the last couple of days. It, it was like, you know, that one feels particularly mm. pertinent right now. And then it is more, it's driven by a place of authenticity, of, yeah. of, of being a bit more personable, a bit more sincere in the moment. Mm. And we want that that tone and that that value to come through so mm. um absolutely feel free to pass through your feedback um you can uh you know follow cam and myself on instagram there's yeah we, we generally put up a bit of a post saying you know check out the piece now if you've got any feedback pass it on through mm. but we're always happy to take that on board yeah once again thanks so much for listening and we hope you enjoyed it or or maybe got got something out of it if you made it this far through uh even extra big thank you yeah have a think about the first time you ever tried coffee because yeah. i mean it was a it was a life changer <laughs> let us know your stories too yeah. i'm sure we'd yeah, love to have a giggle about yeah, yeah, them yeah. no that'd be great yeah cool easy